in case we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Abby and I get to be our Young Adults Director and I'm so glad you're here tonight as we've been continuing on in this relationship series titled, Can We Talk? Where together we've been studying the book of Ruth. Now, if we're all honest, I think all of us could probably agree that relationships, well, they can just be a little bit complicated sometimes, am I right? Like the whole we're just talking stage, things can get awkward. First dates can be so weird. You can be dating, married to someone for years, know them better than anyone else. And that same person can still leave you baffled and absolutely confused at times. Relationships can just be complicated, maybe even awkward at times. As I was looking back at my own relational history, I was thinking to myself, have I never been good at one thing? And that's flirting. I never understood the concept of it. I don't even know how to participate in it. Flirting is not my spiritual gift. And I remember there was this one time when I was in high school, okay, not middle school, let me emphasize high school, meaning I'm almost a grown adult. I had a crush on this boy in my English class named Reed. Now back in the day, I was a goody two shoes and actually still to this day, I tend to be one as well. But the goody two shoes, they all know that the teachers would so often get them and what would they do? They would always sit them next to all the bad boys in hopes that we would influence them. So here I am sitting in the midst of a bunch of boys with Reed by, right beside me and I decide now is my moment for me to make my move on Reed. And so do you know what I decide to do? I decide to compliment this boy's eyebrows in front of all these boys. That's what I chose to go with. Relationships can just be so awkward. I was talking with a coworker about this and he said, oh, Abby, I have a story that can one-up you. And he shares with me how he met this girl over Facebook Messenger. They're talking, they find themselves in a situationship. So she goes and asks him out on a date, a date to McDonald's where she fails to mention she's also working at at the time. <laughs> and so here they are in this little corner booth trying to bond over a cheeseburger and a McFlurry and he's asking her all these questions and she's just replying with these one word answers. And so while he's trying to comprehend what in the world is going on, he looks at his phone where he has a Facebook message from the girl sitting right across from him. And the message says, hey, you're being like really weird right now. Really homegirl? He's the weird one? You're on a date at McDonald's on your lunch break. Who's the weird one? Relationships can be so complicated. But if you enjoyed that, my favorite is I was listening to this pastor and he was talking about how he took this girl on a date to the movies. Now, side note, I hope you learn a lot more than just this tonight, but if you have the chance to take a girl to McDonald's or the movies, you should probably go with the movies. Okay, so they're at the movies and he tries to do one of those cute little sly things where he puts his arm around the girl, you know what I'm saying? And as he goes in for the move, his elbow totally smacks this girl in the nose. She's bleeding everywhere. He's thinking, what in the world have I done? Now the silver lining, I know you're probably wondering, is he did get to put his arm around the girl. It was just as he held a tissue up to her bloody nose all night long. Safe to say there wasn't a second date and safe to say relationships can be complicated, sometimes even awkward. And here tonight in our scripture in Ruth chapter three, we see things are about to get awkward. In fact, I was talking to Pastor Adam a couple of weeks ago, and he said, Abby, are you sure you want to teach in Ruth chapter three? 
that's not a passage of scripture many pastors sign up to talk about. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ruth chapter 3, where I've chosen to speak on today. But while you're turning there, let me go ahead and give you some context to where we've been. See, in Ruth chapter 1, we looked at how there was this family of God living in the land of God called Bethlehem. And this family was led by this man named Ameliak. And Ameliak's name literally means, God is my king. So this whole man's life, he's defined himself by this phrase, God is my king. And yet the moment when a famine happens in the land and Ameliak can't see what the hand of God is doing, he decides to take matters into his own hand by bringing his family to a place forsaken by God called Moab. And how often can we do the same? We say, I know God is my king. I know that this relationship isn't bringing God glory, but it's much easier for me to stay right here. We can say, I know God is my king. I know he's calling me to be obedient in this area, but I'm just gonna stay right here. So often we can say this, and we see that this not only leads to the death of Emiliac, but also to the death of his two sons. And then in week chapter two, in week two, Ruth chapter two, we looked at this concept of how Naomi and Ruth are left all alone because their husbands have passed away. But we see that their story doesn't end staying stuck in chapter one's saying. And neither does your story. Because there's a chapter two in the Bible, there's a chapter two in your life too. So no matter what you've done or how bad you've messed up, we serve a redemptive father who one turn towards him changes absolutely everything. And if you can't get excited about that, that's the gospel. Let's try it together. One turn towards him can change everything. And so Ruth and Naomi, that's exactly what they choose to do. They choose to take a step towards God by going back to the land of God called Bethlehem, where Ruth gets a job, and the scriptures say she just so happens to stumble upon this really cute and attractive available farmer who also just so happens to have a heart that's kind. And we talked about how God is a just so happens God, meaning he specializes in placing you in the exact right place at the exact right time. And if you missed any of these messages, little ministry plug, you can check them out on our podcast, just search NH Young Adults. But tonight we're in Ruth chapter three, where we see things are about to get a little bit awkward. Because you see, Ruth and Boaz has had this sweet moment in chapter two, and yet nothing has happened since then. And I wonder if you can relate. You ever been talking with someone and you're getting to know one another, you know that something's there. Everybody else in the room probably knows that something's there, yet nothing's official. And so you're just in this waiting process. This is where Ruth and Boaz find themselves. And welcome to the Bible, the word that still has effect in our lives today. And the reason why it's important to study this is because so often we can grieve a plan when we don't understand. We can often grieve a plan we don't understand. And while God is working in the waiting, so too can the enemy. And the enemy can try to convince you to doubt God's plans as you're waiting on him. The enemy can try to get you to believe to make sin make sense in your mind as you're waiting on God, when you're so close to the blessing. So tonight, if you find yourself in a place where you don't understand what's going on, 
You can't comprehend why they left. You don't know why it's happened to you. You don't know what God is going to do. I wanna remind you that so often we can grieve a plan that we don't understand. And yet ours is the Ephesian 2.10 God who says he has got good plans for you since long ago before you were even born. This is the God that we serve and see in the scriptures today. This is the God that we see moving on behalf of Ruth. So picking up in Ruth chapter three, the word of God says this. Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing Bari tonight at the threshing floor. So wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. For when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then the man will tell you what you are to do. And Ruth replied saying, all that you say, I will do. So let's talk about what's happening here. See, Naomi notices that there's been no moves made by Boaz or Ruth. So she looks at Ruth and she's giving her some advice. She's saying, Ruth, there's gonna be this big party tonight. There's gonna be a bunch of guys. Boaz is gonna be there and they're gonna be drinking. Chances are they're gonna be drunk. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on your best dress. I want you to smell real nice. And then I want you to creep on up into his room. And when he falls asleep, yes, creep. I want you to uncover and lay at his feet. Excuse me, what? Y'all, this is terrible advice. Things in the scriptures are getting weird right about now. We can be honest. And you see many scholars, they have two different views on what's happening here in the scriptures. So I'm about to use some big words, so stick with me. Because this text is descriptive and not prescriptive, meaning it's more so describing a situation rather than prescribing exactly what we are to do, I wanna give us the knowledge of both scholarly views while telling you what I found in my study and which one I believe is most true. But I wanna encourage you to do research on your own so that you can make an opinion for yourself. Are you ready? The front row is ready. Are y'all in the back row ready? Scholarly view number one is this idea that the advice that Naomi was giving was actually something that was very commonly practiced in the culture. So Ruth coming to Boaz and laying down at his feet was actually a sign of total submission. It's Ruth saying, Boaz, I see you. I know your heart. And I'm making it clear that I wanna be the one that gets to be with you, but I'm gonna let you lead. Because I trust not only you, but I trust the God within you. It's total submission. Now the argument to that thought is while this could have been a practice that was common in culture, it's not common in biblical culture. It's not something that we see practiced in old scriptures that were written for our instructions like Leviticus or Exodus. And it's not something we see repeated in future lineages like with David or Mary and Joseph. This is a very unique one-off event that's a little bit awkward asking a woman to go lay at a man's feet. On top of all of this, we see that this advice actually creates a mess that Boaz himself has to clean up. So knowing this evidence and seeing the evidence that we've already had of the character qualities that Naomi has already shown us, I believe in the other theory and it's this. Naomi is trying to insert her own thought processes in order to quicken God's hand. 
Let me say that again. Naomi is inserting her own thought processes in order to quicken God's hand. Which is interesting, because it's exactly what we saw Emiliac do in chapter 1. Remember when he couldn't take matters into his own hands? He went and did what he thought was best. Again, we don't know completely, but we do know what's happening in this text. Ruth is being encouraged to show up at Boaz's feet. In the night, in the seclusion of his room, after he's been partying all night with the boys. No matter what scholarly view you have, we can all agree that this is some risky advice. So now that we've talked about what we see, let's talk about what we can apply. Going on in the text, it continues and it says, so she, that's Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and she did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lay down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came in softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over because behold, a woman lay at his feet. What a way to wake up, my man. He said, who are you? And she said, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. For you have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. But now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman of God. So here we are. Boaz is married. He's drunk in the night when a woman shows up and lays down at his feet. Probably not the godliest thing in the world. It's probably not a common practice you see people on Christian Mingle talking about. <laughs> Naomi's advice is awkward. Things are messy right about now. But it leads me for my first point that I don't want us to miss tonight. See, in relationships, resolve to never stop involving God. Resolve to never stop involving God. See, Boaz is displaying godly character and an ungodly circumstance. He's drunk. All his walls are down. And Ruth is vulnerable at his feet. And Boaz does not touch her. When society could argue that he absolutely could. But Boaz is committed to being a man of character. He's a man of God who has resolved to never stop involving God. See, how you walk in the night matters. Integrity matters. Integrity is what no one else can see, but guess what God sees? God sees it. And your integrity matters. And I wonder if this moment when Ruth received respect from the man of God I wonder if it just bore her respect for the man all the more. See, I remember one time I found myself in a relationship with this guy. Now, he's not in my life anymore, so it's not one of the, like, those cute, happy stories. But I remember this one time, he was on his phone looking for a photo. And as I was looking over his shoulder, I happened to notice that he had a family photo of mine saved to his phone. And I was like, well, this is kind of awkward. And I said, hey, do you have a family photo of mine on your phone? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I do. Because I never want to forget to treat you like you're somebody's daughter. 
See, godly men are countercultural. And while some people can look at women for just their bodies, men of God look at women as image barriers of God. And while honor is always given, respect is earned. Boaz is choosing to involve God in every area of his life, both in the seen and the unseen. And ladies, even though they may be far and few between, this is the type of man that you should be looking for. And whether you are single or you are dating or you find yourself married, it's important for us to remember that we attract what we are. We attract what we are. I will say it again, you're welcome. So if you're a woman and you're wanting a man of godly character, I would argue, how are you praying for that man? And not are you praying like, Lord, please hit him upside the head with the Bible. <laughs> like, are you praying for his day at work? Are you praying that God's gonna surround him with godly men? How are you praying for your man of God? We attract what we are. Man of God, if you're out here saying that you want a woman to serve you, I would argue, how in the world are you serving her? We attract what we are. See, Ruth is right here at the edge of this man's bed. And he says, do not fear, for I know that you are a worthy woman. And that language, worthy woman, is the same language that's used in Proverbs 31. See, Ruth is a woman of virtue. She's a woman of character and respect. And because of her relationship with God, Boaz notices these attributes and he notices that she's different. See, in a culture that's all about turning heads, be someone who's no more for turning hearts to the king. Let me say that again, because it's not a slide. In a culture that's known more for turning heads, be someone who stands out for turning hearts towards the king. Be a person of character. See, Boaz told Ruth, I not only see your beauty, but I see these character qualities in you. And I see that you could have chosen any young man to be with. And right now you could be hopping from guy to guy to guy, and yet here you are choosing to involve God as you sit at my feet. And what is Boaz's response to all this? He tells her not to fear. He honors her where no one else can see as they both choose to involve God. And don't miss it. Involving God doesn't just suddenly stop at the marriage altar. No, it's putting a stake in the ground saying we're after so much more than happily ever after. We're after how to become more holy as we seek Jesus better together. See, author Gary Thomas, he says this great thing. He says, if you wanna serve like Jesus, there's no question, you can in singleness. But if you wanna become more like Jesus, I can't imagine a better ground than marriage. See, marriage forces you to face some character issues you probably wouldn't face otherwise. And it's a foundation that's best laid when you involve God and it's cultivated through your committed resolve to keep involving God. So keep involving God. And you're pursuing, and you're dating, and you're everything. Keep involving God. And in a world with voices like Naomi, saying advice that doesn't quite make sense, choose to be a Boaz. Choose to become a Ruth. Choose to raise a Boaz. Choose to raise a Ruth. I just realized that sounded like a song. <laughs> See, whatever you do, 
resolved to never stop involving God. But as the text continues on, we see that there's another awkward tension happening in the scripture. And I know you wanna know, so let's jump in. It says, and now it is true, Boaz says, I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. So remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, then good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So come and lie down until morning. So let's unpack this. See, Ruth is a widow. She's taken Naomi's advice and she finds herself sitting at this man's feet in the night. The text said earlier that Ruth asked Boaz to spread out his wings over her. Meaning in that culture's context, it's basically asking Ruth, she's telling Boaz, please propose to me. Hello, she's being clear, clarity is kind. She's saying, Boaz, make me your wife. So here Boaz is, and he's clearly hearing that the girl he desires and wants most clearly wants him too. And yet what do we see Boaz choose to do? He says he must wait. See, God never wastes a wait. Search the scriptures. Not even once has God ever wasted a wait. And what's the awkward tension on all this? Boaz is saying that there's another man. And technically, because of the law back then, this man has first dibs on Ruth, meaning he could come in and steal his girl. This is the awkward tension that we're facing in the text. But instead of cutting corners, Boaz has set his mind to do God's will, God's way even if it means things get delayed or things don't go in the way that he's expecting them to go. Boaz has set his mind on waiting on God and he's not willing to compromise. See, I heard a pastor once say that when we wait on God, a lot of worry can come up because we think, well, what if things fall apart or what if they walk away? But when we wait on God, we not only wait for his mercies, but by his mercies. When you're waiting on God, it's not always about just achieving the gift. It's about what you learn as you walk with the Father holding his hand. So what you're laying down at God's feet, what you're praying about wondering if God still hears you, what you are choosing to put God first in, it's not going to be missed by God. Boaz is committed to not just trusting God's good plan, but he's choosing to trust God's good heart. And Ruth is right there, sitting at his feet. He knows that he could take her up on that offer right then, but he doesn't. He delays. Because he knows that it's best to follow God's way. So he trusts because he knows that dating in the dark does not develop godly relationships. Dating in the dark does not develop godly relationships. Godly dating develops in the light of day, not the dark of night. So Boaz is willing to wait, knowing that he serves a God who has never once wasted a wait. And hear me, God won't waste your waiting. He's too good for that. It's not his nature to forsake a wait, and he won't waste your waiting. Chapter three goes on to close, and Boaz tells Ruth to stay, and therefore he appropriately honors her. See, if Ruth would have left that night, 
people probably would have called into question her character. Or she could have walked out into the streets exposed when all of these men have been partying all night wrong. So Boaz chooses to honor Ruth by allowing her to stay. And then he sends her home with some barley and the text says this. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how do you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. Don't woman do that, we tell the whole story. She told her mother-in-law all that the man had done, saying these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then Naomi replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but he will settle the matter today. So Ruth and Boaz, they've resolved to never stop involving God, even when the situation started out a little bit ungodly. They choose to trust God's timing while knowing that God never wastes a wait. And Naomi, the one who started this awkward mess in the first place, is now comprehending the move of God that's happening as they're waiting on God. See, here's the last thing I want us to know tonight. God always honors honor. God always honors honor. The scripture says that God says, those who honor me, I will also seek to honor. So how you speak about that person who mistreats you, how you choose to withhold the information that's been entrusted to you, how you choose to work even when no one else can see, God will honor your honor. See, we've spoken an awful lot about Boaz being a godly man. And while he is, Ruth is just as much a godly woman. And what's fascinating is Ruth literally gets this whole Bible named, not the whole Bible, that's Jesus. Let's not mess that up. She gets this whole passage named after her. But what's fascinating is this is the very last time that we're gonna hear Ruth speak in this text. And y'all, there's a whole nother chapter four. But Ruth is a secure woman of God. She's after honoring Boaz and Naomi. She doesn't need it to be about her. See, what Ruth could have done is she could have tried to convince Boaz to see her. She could have said, Boaz, I'm right here. What if I walk away? But see, Ruth not only lets, but she trusts that Boaz will be a man of God and he will lead well. Ladies, can I be honest with you tonight? Thank you. Do not cripple a man's development with an insecurity deficiency. Let me say that again. Don't cripple a man's development with an insecurity deficiency. See, so often we can be tempted into taking matters into our own hands when we don't see a move of God happening. It's what we saw Emiliac do, and it's what we saw Naomi do at the start of this passage. But if he didn't work to get you, what on earth makes you think that he's gonna work to keep you? As women, we can have this desire for security that it will tempt us into doing the man's job. But if he didn't work to get you, what makes you think that he's gonna work to keep you? Do not cripple his development process with an insecurity deficiency. Let the man pursue you. He who finds a good wife is what the scripture says. And if you're married, let him lead you. And if that's hard for you, get on your knees and commit to praying for him and praying for his leadership. You choose to honor God and God will honor you. God will fight for you and he will defend your cause. You honor God and you watch the ways that God will honor you. Ruth chooses to not only trust, 
Boaz, but she does so as a way to honor him. And Boaz is after honoring Ruth. And together we see that God honors their honor. Let me tell you how. Chapter three closes when Boaz sends Ruth home with the barley and the text said he told her, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. See, Boaz found himself having to clean up a mess that happened due to Naomi's advice. The same woman who whined in chapter one saying, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me and I went away full and now the Lord has brought me back empty. See, Naomi came back to Bethlehem empty. It's what she told everyone. She said, the Lord has brought me back empty. But Boaz is after honoring Ruth that he's making sure that Naomi does not return empty. So he sends her home with the barley. He's after honoring Ruth. And what I love about this is Boaz does this while not knowing if he gets to be the redeemer. He wants to be the redeemer. He wants to be the one that marries Ruth. But he is choosing to bless her no matter what the outcome is. He's saying, hey, even though you have nothing to offer me, I'll still redeem you. And what's fascinating is Naomi gets to be a part of the miracle, even in the mess ups of the silly advice that she ended up giving. And she ends it by saying, wait, Ruth. I know I, I, know I wasn't good at waiting before, but I see God's hand now. And I see the mercy that Boaz is showing. So wait. Don't assume, don't try to marry this person in your mind before the rest of you can. You wait on God, because I see the man of God that Boaz is. And the same God who was honoring Naomi and honoring Ruth and honoring Boaz is the same God who will seek to honor you. You honor God in the situations in which you're facing in your life today. And you're waiting, choose to trust God. And in everything, choose to involve God. Knowing that with God, your waiting will not be wasted. And the same God who proved it back then is the same God who's speaking this over to you today. If you're able, would you join me up to your feet as we go to God in prayer together? Well, Father God, we come before you. And God, I thank you that you are a God that loves us in spite of us, God. That even in the mistakes, God, even in the unworthiness, God, even in the things that we might have done that broke your heart last night, God, I thank you that you are a God that chooses to stay when everyone else walks away. That you are a God that chooses to love us in spite of us. God, we thank you for the example that you gave us back then. And we thank you that you are the same God who is speaking this even here right now, Father. And so God, as we come before you and we declare the God and who we call upon, that God, as we sing this new song, same God, declaring that the same God who was faithful then is the same God who will be faithful to us here right now. God, we pray that you would be enthroned on the praises of our worship, that God, you would break off chains within us and that you would help us to walk freely in Jesus' name for all the good plans and what you have in store for us. God, rewrite our stories. God, be the same God that we saw move on behalf of the people of God and the word of God. Would you be faithful to move in and through us today? 
Father, be enthroned on our praises. We thank you for moving tonight. It's in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus that we all said together, amen.